Amen. If you have your Bibles, open up to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, being verses 11 through 18. 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 18. As you're opening up there, I'm reminded of something because I have, you can't see them, but I've got two Goombas looking at me right here. You guys back here can see them. Uh, the, some Super Mario villains. VBS starts tomorrow. And I love it because the whole facility is playful. Right? Everywhere you turn, there's something playful. It's a reminder of the joy of children and the welcoming of children and uh, the Lord's words about children and our commitment to discipling children. And so, goodness gracious, if you're not serving, if you're not bringing a snack, if you're not doing whatever might need to be done for VBS, at the very least, can you pray that the Lord would work in the hearts and minds of our children as they hear the word all week. What a joy VBS is and what a blessing it is to have kids swarming the campus. What a, what a joy. Well, if you're open up to 1 John chapter 3, verses 11 through 18, do me a favor, please. Stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning verse 11. This, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods, and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Let's pray together. Oh God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to gather together today to hear your word. And God, let us be changed by your word today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We are in a time of the year where we're going to hear the word love a lot. In fact, you're probably going to hear the word love is love a whole lot. It's hard to miss the fact, in fact, um, unless you're a little bit of a hermit perhaps, it's hard to miss the fact that this is what's become known as Pride Month. This is a month that's set aside for our culture to celebrate the LGBTQ uh, movement. And it's a difficult season for Christians because of the way this month is presented to us. Because of the way this month is presented to us, it's presented to us as a dichotomy, as if you only have two choices. Option one is presented to us like this, just your first option, and it's presented as the right option, is full affirmation. 
We should, so one might say, if we really want to love people, if we really want to live out what Jesus taught and preached, if we really want to love, we ought to then fully affirm and celebrate homosexuality and every combination or permutation of sexual desire or expression. Whatever anyone wants to do, you ought to support them in that. In fact, not only affirm them in that, but furthermore, celebrate that reality, no matter what. No matter what. That's option one. Option two is you're a hateful, backwards bigot. Simply, generally speaking, how it's presented. Now, I'll be the last person to believe that every single person who celebrates Pride Month believes that every single person who doesn't is a hateful, backwards bigot. Again, that's the challenge of the way this is presented, right? It's the challenge of the way this is presented. And so, it's a tough place for Christians to be. There's no question. Jesus has commanded us to love. And our view of sin and the view of sin in this church is that there's no sin that's particularly worse than another. We recognize we're the worst sinners there are. You see, there's a, a, a cross that we keep back there normally um, that, that tells us every time we look at it, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. My, my sin, Matt Alexander's sin, is so bad that Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, died for it. There's no worse than anybody out there in the world. No, no worse than anyone else. I'm no better than anyone else in the world. But Jesus has clearly commanded us to love. But the Bible also very clearly teaches that sex is reserved for marriage between one man and one woman. And so as Christians, we struggle. And I understand, I, I know many of you struggle with this. You talk to me about this. Uh, you come to me with these challenges. Uh, some of you in your work and in your jobs feel a whole lot of pressure to conform to the world. Others of you feel a little bit of guilt, a, a little bit of guilt in the way that you maybe feel like you're not loving as you could be because of the way this is presented. Here's the reality. We would be foolish to act like Pride Month is the only time we struggle with this. Or, like these issues are the only places where we have a hard time. These are most in your face and they're most talked about in our culture. But all the time, Christians are struggling, aren't we? Struggling with the balance between holding fast to the truth, having a high view of truth, having a high view of sin, and also loving the way Jesus commanded us to love. Now, Jesus did this perfectly. Jesus did this perfectly. He was firm when he needed to be firm. He's harsh when he needed to be harsh. He's loving and tender when he needed to be loving and tender. It's one of the benefits of being the very Son of God. You do things perfectly. But we're challenged. Here's the reality as Christians. We cannot let go of the truth and we cannot stop speaking the truth. But at the same time, we cannot be so fixated on speaking the truth and speaking to a changing culture that we miss the reality that we also cannot cease to be a people of love. And once we let go of either of those realities, we've, in essence, let go of Christianity. We've let go of Jesus himself, who perfectly embodies, John tells us in his gospel, grace and truth. Here's what I want us to do. We cannot allow the world to define love or truth for us, because the love that God offers is perfect. And so we cannot sit back and allow people to believe a counterfeit version of the real, true, good thing that God offers through His Son, Jesus Christ. For this is the message, John tells us, that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. This morning, I want to preach to you on three truths that are going to help us learn what love really looks like. 
a positive, forward-thinking definition of love to try to think through, okay, tomorrow, Monday, when we go back out into the world, or this afternoon maybe is better, when we go back out into the world, or maybe even later when the sermon hits a little lull and you pick your phone back up and the world comes to you, right, here in, here in just a little bit. What do we do? How, how do we live? How do we live out love? What does love really look like? How do we love our brothers and how do we love our neighbor. I want to give three truths today on the sweet life of love in deed. Love in deed. First point is this. The way of hatred is the death of love. The way of hatred is the death of love. I want to tell you, my friends, we cannot hope, we cannot imagine that we might be people of love if we leave room for hatred in our hearts, if we cultivate hatred in our hearts. Now, everyone here sits here and thinks, well, I don't hate anybody. In fact, Mama told me I can't even use the word. I'm not allowed. I don't hate anybody. It might be easier to cultivate hate. It's part of what John's telling us here. It might be easier to cultivate hate than you think. John begins by giving us an example. He reminds us from the beginning, we've been told to love one another, and then he gives us a negative example in verse 12. We should not be like Cain, John tells us. He was of the evil one and murdered his brother. It's interesting here that John tells us Cain was of the evil one. Jesus tells us something similar when he says that all those who murder are sons of the devil, for from the beginning he was a murderer. Maybe even referencing to the way that the devil influenced Cain to murder his own brother. But at the very core of what Satan is, he's a misanthrope. He hates mankind. He hates people. He hates human beings. Why does Satan hate us so much? Have you ever thought about this? Because we're created in God's image. You see it in the very earliest. You see the... The, the, the shape of the devil's hate coming out in the earliest temptations of Adam and Eve. What does he tell Eve? How does he tempt Eve? He says to them, to Adam and Eve, if you eat of this fruit, you will what? Be like God. I've often said it was that moment that Adam should have stomped his head right then and said, I'm already like God. I'm created in His image. But you can see the way that the devil kind of follows the pattern of Cain and seeing human beings as created in the image of God and in his rebellion against God grew to hate human beings and try to tempt them to be something they already were, like God, to show that he had a better way, a better approach. Do not be like Cain. He was of the evil one, John tells us, and he murdered his brother. Why did Cain murder his brother? Because his own deeds were evil, verse 12, and his brothers righteous. His own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Both brothers brought a sacrifice. One the Lord accepted and one the Lord rejected. We don't have time to go into all the exegesis of behind this and everything else, but the reality is that one sacrifice was offered in faith and one sacrifice was not. All of Hebrews tells us that Abel offered his sacrifice by faith. 
Consider this reality, my friends. Consider this path that Cain walked down. It began with jealousy. He saw that his brother was accepted before God. He saw that his brother was commended before God. He saw that his brother's sacrifice was accepted by God. And his deeds were evil. And what did Cain do? God encourages Cain to take responsibility for his own actions. Will not your countenance be lifted, the Lord tells him, if you do what is right? (laughs) But Cain doesn't. Instead, he becomes jealous. And his envy and jealousy leads to hatred. And his hatred leads to murder. I don't hate anyone, you say. Listen, I I know. You, You would never murder anyone, would you? Of course not. You've listened to enough true crime podcasts at this point to know nobody ever gets away with it. I'm not going to murder anyone because I don't want to go to jail. And I don't hate anyone because Mama says I can't even say the word. Those are steps I would never take. But how many of us take the first step? How many of us take the first step? How many of us take the step of jealousy? of being frustrated because we feel like people get special treatment or special privilege or we feel like they don't deserve the way they're being treated or we feel like, what about me? What about how I'm supposed to be treated? Don't we have to be so careful even in difficult times, even in times when we feel like things that should not be celebrated are celebrated? So much of the Christian attitude I see surrounding the change of the world is not necessarily a frustration that Jesus isn't being celebrated. So much, it seems to me sometimes, as a frustration that Christians aren't being celebrated. This world owes us nothing, my friends. And our hope is in the world to come alone. Have you entered into the slippery slope of hatred? The slippery slope of hatred? But notice what John says then. He says, this is why the world hates you. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you Do not be surprised that the world hates you. Be be so careful, my friends. The the world hates righteousness. The the world hates God, just like we did before we were saved. The Bible says this. You were once God's enemies before God redeemed you. And all of us were in that state. The world is in rebellion against her creator. And so because of that, the world will naturally hate the Lord's church. Now listen. Listen. The Lord's church and people who claim the name of Christ have done plenty to deserve being ill-thought of. But not everything to, be, to deserve to be ill-thought of. Don't be surprised and be so careful. Because I'll tell you, and I know this from experience, the natural response to hate is hate. <laughs> it's not hard to get a grudge war going in this world. Stay with me on this. I mean, it is not hard to start a cycle of revenge. One person hates somebody, and, and you do something back, and what do, you, what do you say when somebody calls you out on it? Well, they did it first. They hate me. I'm a parent. I deal with cycles of revenge every day. Every day. Nothing comes natural to unkindness. Nothing is a more natural response to unkindness than more unkindness. 
Nothing is a more natural response to a lack of love than a lack of love. Nothing is a, a more natural response to ugliness than more ugliness. Nothing is a more natural response to hate than hate. This is what makes Jesus' teaching so radical. It turns the world on its head. Consider this, my friends. Be so careful. Because when you feel hated, you may want to hate in return. I mean, they don't know, right? They don't know that we're not going to stand for it. They're just going to keep acting that way. The Christian response to hatred is love. The Christian response to when someone forces you to walk a mile is to walk the next mile voluntarily. The Christian response when someone steals your jacket is to give them your shirt also. The Christian response is when someone slaps you in the face to turn to them the other cheek. John gives us a gut check in verses 14 and 15. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. It's a gut check. You say you know God. You talk about knowing God. In word, you're a Christian. In talk, you're a Christian. But that hate in your heart says something different. That lack of love in your life says something different. Do you hate? Do you love? It says a lot about whether you know God. I would never take the step of murder. But have you taken the step of hatred? And if you have hatred in your heart, didn't our Lord tell us? Do you see how close John was to the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ? Never for a moment let people try to divorce the teaching of Jesus from the teaching of the apostles and the rest of the New Testament. Everything they say is so deeply rooted in the teaching of Jesus, it's impossible to divorce the two. Notice what he says. No murderer has eternal life abiding in him. If you hate, you have murder in your heart. Oh, brothers and sisters, the way of hatred is the death of love. And there's no sweeter life than the sweet life of love indeed. Reject, my friends, reject the way of hate. But also, second of all, we must remember the death of Jesus is the fount of love. The death of Jesus is the fount of love. It's essential that we define love. That, that we know what love is. John feels this tension. John feels this pressure as he writes. And so in verse 16, he's told us that we ought not to hate, that we must have love. How do we define it? How do we know it when we see it? How do we spot love out in the wild? By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. A rock of Gibraltar of a phrase right in the middle of this passage, holding the whole passage together. By this we know love. By this we know love that He laid down His life for us. The gospel, my friends, is the fount of love. Now consider this. In Himself, God is perfect love. You ever thought about this? I, I don't know if you know this. You guys should pray for my wife. 
often because I am a needy person. I'm needy. If I get sick, I'm needy. If I feel a little sad, I'm needy. I'm, I'm asking a lot of her to show me how much she loves me. You guys ever been like this in a situation? Maybe you're, maybe you're right now a little bit frustrated, a little bit angry because your child hasn't called you sufficiently over this weekend. Maybe you're mad because you haven't been shown the love you think you deserve. Maybe in hindsight you look and you can see the way that the deprivation of love has impacted you in very serious ways. Maybe your parents or other people withheld love from, from, from you over time and it's damaged you into adulthood. These are all realities. I, I'm needy. I kind of need displays of love and affection. Isn't it amazing to consider that God has no need in Himself? God didn't create us because He had a, a hole in His heart. God, God didn't create us because he, he needed somebody to sing His praises. God was totally sufficient and had perfect, infinite love in Himself before we were ever created before we ever came on the scene, before the first angel was ever spoken into existence, God was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with perfect love and a perfect relationship in Himself. Consider this. Consider this reality then. God's love for God overflowed. It spilled the banks. God took it from outside Himself and fixed His love on creatures. He made the world and formed and filled the world and He put people into the world. And then after our sin and after our fall, He sent His Son to become a person by His love in order that ultimately through the cross, through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we might be invited into the infinite, perfect love of God. It's pure grace. It's infinite gratuity. Nothing but God's own love made him do this. God is perfectly love in himself. And notice what the Bible says here. Notice what John tells us. By this we know love that he, that is the very son of God, who is very God of very God, he laid down his life for us. Not only at the cross, but he laid down the life he enjoyed in heaven in order that he might become man. He condescended. He he came on a mission of love into this world. And not only that, He died a sinner's death that we deserved on the cross. He laid down His life for us. The gospel is an open invitation into the life of the Trinity. By faith, you can be adopted by the Father. By faith, you can be joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. By faith, you can be sealed and indwelled by the Holy Spirit the gospel is an experience of the love of God that is bought, secured, exampled, and enjoyed through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. He laid down His life for us. In this is love. This is how we know love. We cannot know true love. We cannot experience true love outside of Jesus Christ and His gospel. You may be demanding things of people around you that only God, through His gospel, can provide. My friends, Christians must live out this love. Christians must preach this love. And Christians must have our own love shaped by this love. Friends, I think we all need to evaluate 
how shaped by the cross our love truly is. How shaped by the gospel our love truly is. Do you love people just so long as they're keeping up their end of the bargain? Right now, right now, maybe there was a scene the loved one with a spouse, with a child over the weekend, or your disappointment with them led you to be less than loving. Is that shaped by the gospel? Is quid pro quo love shaped by the gospel? Did God say, so long as y'all will do what I tell you to do. Now listen, I'm going to come get you out of this mess. I know you've sinned. I know you made a wreck of the good world I made. Out of love reminds you. Nothing that you made me do. I just chose to do it. And I'm going to come fix this mess you made, but you better straighten up once I get there. Is that the message of the gospel? Oh no, my friends. God's love spills the banks even of our transgressions it spills the banks of our foibles it spills the banks of our sins it's overcoming overwhelming totally unmerited favor from god god loved us and sent his son into the world knowing good and well how we would treat him when he came knowing good and well how imperfect his church would be knowing good and well how cold our love would be even as we find warmth by the infinite supernova of the love of god even then our hearts can still be chilly with love but god loves Anyway, will your love be shaped by the gospel? The way of hate is the death of love. The death of Christ is the fount of love. And finally, love indeed is the way of the Christian. Love indeed is the way of the Christian. Okay, pastor, you win the argument. I shouldn't hate. And I see the way that the gospel is the way of love. And you keep talking about loving each other, but what do we do? <laughs> what should I do? John anticipates this question. And let me put it like this. The gist of it is this. The love of Jesus in the gospel should overflow in our lives. Our lives should become a picture of the love that Jesus had for us in the gospel. Notice what John says. I mean, he, he really starts at the beginning. It couldn't be more simple. What does he say? By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. So let's just go ahead and get it out of the way. Are you telling me that I should be willing to die for someone out of love? That's exactly what the Bible says that we ought to be willing to lay down our lives for others. Have you ever wondered why our culture values sacrifice for the sake of others? And not only value sacrifice for the sake of others, but value sacrifice in particular for the sake of those who are too weak to defend themselves? Ancient cultures did not value the weak. They exposed the weak. They did away with the weak. The weak would harm the pack. There's nothing in a materialistic understanding of the universe that makes good sense 
of an altruistic behavior, something that is done on behalf of others. It's only a demonstration of the triumph of Christianity that we can see in our own culture the way we value sacrifice for the sake of others. There's nothing if Darwin was right. There's nothing if the materialists are right that makes sense why we would praise someone, like a friend of mine from seminary who was trying to help someone uh, with a, a, a really dangerous situation on the interstate and in trying to help them, he lost his own life. Why would we value that? Why don't we see that as a waste? It only makes sense if Jesus is alive. It's the only way that sacrifice for the sake of others makes any sense in the world we live in. So indeed, indeed, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But sometimes this is kind of a cop-out because we so rarely truly get the opportunity to die for someone. I don't encourage you to go out and look for opportunities to be a martyr today. I don't, I don't think that's a biblical idea. And some, so sometimes I think the thought of dying for someone seems easier to us than living for them. And so John, very wisely, goes on. We ought to, he says, lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone... So you're like, okay. Some of us might even say, like, that's great. I'll love people like that because I probably won't ever get the opportunity. John doesn't stop there. Rarely would we have the opportunity to die for someone. But see the way this gospel logic overflows into living, into day-to-day life. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? There are days, my friends, when dying feels easier than generosity. There are days when dying for someone seems easier than living for someone. Now, God's not asking you to give out of what you don't have. God's not asking you to do that. But the question is, are we living generous lives? Notice what he says. Let's not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. Jesus gave us an example of how to love our neighbor. Who was a good neighbor to him, he asked those who had gathered around him, about the good Samaritan. Someone who went the extra mile to love and serve someone who probably would have hated him. Friends, how will this love play out? It may be that at some point you have to help someone. You have to go the extra mile for someone. It may be that you have to give the world's goods to someone who you, on paper, ought to despise. But it's a sign that God's love dwells in you. We face such a temptation to offer love in word only. Of course I love folks. I love everybody. But we cannot love only in word, but we must love in deed as well. We must put boots on the ground when it comes to love. We also face the temptation to love indeed without truth. That we're so compassionate and so loving that we abandon the truth of God's Word. But my friends, we cannot for a moment think that love has been divorced from truth is actually love. We know that cannot be the case because true love is rooted in Christ and His gospel, and Jesus Himself is perfect truth and righteousness. We will not give for a moment on a sin for which Jesus bled and died in order to show the love of Christ. Can't do it. It begins to contradict itself. 
as Christians, many of us are trying to figure out what to do in June, what to do in Pride Month. Let's spend this month the way we ought to spend every other month. Let's make it love and truth and deed month. Fight the temptation to hate. And don't, don't lie to yourself and say that it's not there. I, I know all of us are tempted to be hateful toward those with whom we disagree. The Bible wouldn't be chock full of this if that weren't the case. Love and live out the gospel. Love and live out the gospel. Demonstrate love to others. Show grace when you are reviled. When someone slaps you in the face, whether literally or figuratively, turn to them the other cheek. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy how important it is for him, even with false teachers, even with people in his church who are spreading a false gospel, to be gentle and kind and loving. We cannot support the Lord's truth while abandoning the Lord's way. Be committed, brothers and sisters, to love not only in word and talk, not just to talk about love, not just to think about love, but as you go, as you live, to live out love in deed and in truth. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus, if, if you've never before turned from your sins and repentance and turned to God in faith through Jesus, I believe today, if you'll do that, you will be saved. 